and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, saying, Come and see. Thunder Radio with Christian J. Pento. Okay, praise the Lord, you guys, and welcome. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we are doing the annual Christmas show. The annual Christmas show where we once a year typically our most controversial show, talk about the celebration of Christmas. Is Christmas a legitimate Christian holiday or is it a pagan holiday as we are being told by certain voices out there in the, well, in both the Christian and non-Christian community. I mean, you have pagans who have been telling us for years that they think Christmas is some kind of pagan festival. Uh, And then you have uh, people who profess to be Christian who say this kind of thing as well. In fact, there was a time, I have to tell you, years ago when I generally accepted the arguments about the Feast of Saturnalia or the the celebration of the, the birth of Saul Invictus and all this other kind of stuff. Used to believe those things until... I actually started looking into them. And uh, once I began to actually go and examine the historic records and what's available within the historic records, it became very, very clear that this is kind of a, a, a superstitious version of what the Christmas celebration really is. And it comes down to just looking at what records we have that are available. But the controversy goes on. I'm very thankful that more and more ministers and teachers and apologists are stepping up to the plate and they're actually defending more and more. We're finding Christmas as a true Christian celebration. Uh, And we're just seeing more and more of that. I'm, I'm looking across the Internet and you've got more and more people whether you go and study the comments from somebody like the late, great uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he was a defender of the Christmas celebration. Uh, If you go back to the Reformation, Martin Luther was a big promoter of Christmas. There's no question. In fact, we're going to talk about on the program today how the very first Christmas tree, according to kind of Lutheran mythos, and maybe some people believe it's true, other people think it's kind of a kind of a, a a myth or a legend told about Martin Luther. Although who knows, there might be elements of truth to it. That supposedly Martin Luther uh, originated the first Christmas tree. We'll talk about that on the program as well. But notice the time frame there. Most anybody agrees that knows anything about history that Christmas trees do not appear until about the time of Martin Luther and the Great Reformation. That's when you see the first Christmas trees. Christmas trees, in other words, setting up a tree and 
decorating it in the way that people have done for hundreds of years now, that is not an ancient practice practiced by pagans in ancient Babylon or whatever. Maybe they did that kind of thing. Okay. But to say that they were doing that and that this is where Christians got the idea from is provably wrong, especially when you relate it to things like the Asherah pole. And I usually talk about the Asherah pole. I'll briefly mention it this year because we've, I've got some documentation here that we're going to go over. We're going to go over the birth date of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to be talking about some information that I've not talked about before in, in past shows. Whenever I talk about uh, Christmas and what are the true origins of the Christmas celebration. And uh, because when people tell you that this was adopted from paganism is based on the Feast of Saturnalia. First off, Saturnalia doesn't work because the dates don't fit. Saturnalia is the 17th through the 23rd. It's well known of December. That's not December 25th. Uh, but people say, oh, well, it's kind of the same thing. Well, no, it's not actually the same thing. It is a different event. December 25th was chosen for a particular reason. And there's two main arguments. Uh, the first argument is one that I've talked about before, and that is the Jewish belief that a prophet dies on the day of his conception. In other words, whenever a prophet was conceived, that will be the day of his death. That's a Jewish belief. Now, we don't have any biblical evidence to support that, not that I know of. I've never seen anything in the Scripture that supports that idea, but that was a Jewish custom, belief, doctrine. I'm not sure if Jewish people still believe that today, but that was in the ancient world something that Jewish teachers believed. And so it is generally argued that because Jesus died during the Passover, it was, it was, that was a date that was well-known, established, it could be traced. So then the day of his death would have been the day of his conception, which was March 25th. So that's the date recorded in ancient times. So you count forward nine months from March 25th, that takes you to December 25th. That's one argument about the origin of the dates. But we're going to talk about another argument about the origin of the dates. And we're going to talk about a great website that I've stumbled on that I think uh, those of you who are looking for evidence to defend the celebration of Christmas so that you don't have to walk around and listen to people tell you that you're some kind of pagan or whatever, which is really absurd. Um, this will give you hopefully some more ammunition uh, to, to enter into healthy discussions with other people who have these views. Okay, so Feast of Saturnalia doesn't work because the dates don't fit. A. B. The celebration of the birth of Saul Invictus, the unconquered son... That celebration does happen on December 25th, but here's the problem. The earliest dates for Christians celebrating the annual acknowledgement of the birth of Jesus Christ goes back to about 199 A.D. 
Many sources say 200 A.D. I've seen in the past 199 A.D. In according to one source, other sources typically say about 200 A.D. Thereabout. In fact, here is an article from Answers in Genesis, and they ask the question, how long ago were Christians celebrating Christmas? Uh, the article says, quote, Christmas Day, also called the Nativity of Our Lord, is celebrated on December 25th. Christmas has been widely celebrated by underground Christians and documented by Christians since about A.D. 200. Christmas became even more popular when Christianity was allowed to be out in the open after the Edicts of Toleration and Milan in A.D. 311 and 313, respectively. Then it goes on. Now, this is very interesting. This part's very important. Uh, quote, popular early church father Sextus Julius Africanus wrote the chronography or chronography chronographi around AD 221, which put the conception of Christ on March 25th, nine months prior to December 25th, the date being used for Christmas. Now it goes on to say that this is, it says for context, this was about 125 years after the last of Jesus's apostles died. Now, the last apostle would have been the apostle John. Typically, his death is placed at the end of the first century. Okay, so within 125 years of the death of the apostle John, you have a record from an early church father, Sextus Julius Africanus, okay, about AD 221, and he's placing the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ at March 25th, and then people are counting forward nine months and using the date December 25th. Now, the other argument, the, the Saturnalia argument doesn't work. The winter solstice argument doesn't work. Why? Because the dates don't fit. You have the anti-Christmas people. They keep trying to force the, oh, well, the 17th and the 23rd, it's, it's close to the same thing. And they're just trying to force it when it doesn't really fit. Okay? And meanwhile, they're ignoring all the other evidence that actually puts Christmas in a very Bible-based Christian context, where, yes, we have in the Bible, in the New Testament, the record of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not like somebody's making up the event um, or, or making up the fact that when Jesus was born, you had a star, Overhead, you had the Magi that came from the east. You you had uh, shepherds keeping their flocks by night. That the angels appeared to them, and so that that the event itself was this miraculous, heavenly, beautiful, magnificent event that was remembered in the writings of the New Testament. So, of course, this is something to celebrate, something to say, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Messiah. Uh, uh, he who was prophesied of old from ancient times for centuries beforehand. Praise the Lord that God fulfilled his promise 
and sent his son into the world, ultimately to die for our sins. Praise the Lord. That is something to celebrate. And of course, it makes all the sense in the world that early Christians would, uh, would celebrate it. Now, you say, well, maybe why, why is there no record of this celebration beforehand? Quite possibly because, quite possibly because, the, the first century church clearly believed that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ was going to happen very soon. There were those who believed in the first century, and we read this in the uh, Gospel of John. We read John saying that when uh, he and Peter are talking with Jesus there at the end of John, and Peter says, he looks at Jesus and he's looking toward John, he says, what will this man do? And Jesus says, what if I will that he stays till I return? What is that to you? You follow me. And then as a result, the saying went around that, uh, that John would not die until the return of Christ. So some people thought that Jesus was going to return in John's lifetime. Now, John, of course, corrects that at the end of his gospel. He says, but that's not what Jesus said. He says, what if I will that he stays till I come? Uh, what is that to you, etc." So the early church, the first century church, was expecting the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ in their day. But once John passed away and it became clear to everyone, okay, well, we've misunderstood what Jesus meant, and, and uh, now we recognize that this is going to be a longer journey of faith. They adopted certain traditions to keep the faith alive one year after another after another, waiting for the eventual return of our Lord. All right, now this same article from Answers in Genesis goes on to say, and I want to give credit to them. Let me give credit. Who wrote this article? All right, so the article, the headline is, Was Christmas Pagan? Written by Bodie Hodge. Written by Bodie Hodge back in 2022. Okay, so we talked about the date, December 25th. So the article says, quote, Hippolytus of Rome also mentions December 25th in the first decade of A.D. 200 in his commentary on Daniel. Some Christians still celebrate an ancient feast on March 25th called the Feast of Annunciation, also called Conceptio Christi, Solemnity of the, the Annunciation, Lady Day, or Feast of the Incarnation, celebrating the Immaculate Conception of Christ. Okay, praise the Lord. So they have that feast on March 25th, celebrating the conception of Christ. When the angel appeared to Mary and told her uh, that she was going to bring forth the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. Now, that, this not to be confused with what you have in Roman Catholicism, the Immaculate Conception, that is a reference to the conception of Mary. That is a separate idea. It's a separate doctrine. So let's be sure not to confuse them. The conception of Christ was an Immaculate, a perfect, holy conception. Okay? 
So, but when is it celebrated? On March 25th. You count forward nine months from March 25th, you get December 25th. But is that the actual day of the birth of Christ? There are still many people, even even people who celebrate the Christmas holiday, who don't think that December 25th is the actual day. They think that maybe it was some other day, but they think it, it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, I personally kind of fall into that category. I don't think the exact day matters. I think that we remember the birth of Christ, and it is a wonderful time to witness to the rest of the world. Uh, it is a wonderful time to remind the rest of the world about the birth and life and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that Christians maintain this holiday or holy day every year is a witness to the rest of the world, to the unbelieving world. Now, having said all of that, there are still those who take the issue of December 25th very, very, very seriously. Very seriously. And I want to point you toward a resource before we go to our commercial break. I want to point you toward a resource by Roger T. Beckwith. Roger T. Beckwith. You can find this online, and it's called St. Luke, comma, The Date of Christmas and the Priestly Courses at Qumran. The Priestly Courses at Qumran. Now, you can find this online at jstor, jstor.org, but uh, Beckwith, Roger Beckwith also has articles published elsewhere on the internet. If you look them up, the reason why I'm pointing you to the articles is because they are very, very involved and have to do with the courses of the priests. And they trace it back to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who was a member of the course of, the, of Abijah, the priest Abijah. And they use that as the beginning point of tracing from there <laughs> the birth of John the Baptist and then following the chronology as we have it in the New Testament to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's very involved. It's challenging to explain in a simple, easy way. I'm going to make an attempt to do it, and I'm going to read uh, some kind of uh, Cliff's Notes explanations from another website that I'll tell you about when we come back from the break right after this. Adullam Films presents a stunning new documentary, The True Christian History of America, exploring the Bible-based Christian origins of the early American view of freedom, tracing the principles of liberty back to England and the Great Reformation. For many years, our schools have taught that the founding of our Republic was from the Deists or the Enlightenment in France. But is that truly the case? 
Did the Enlightenment first declare no taxation without representation or trial by jury? Were they the champions of freedom of speech or of the press or the right to bear arms? And why did Samuel Adams declare that the reign of political Protestantism would commence just before signing the Declaration of Independence? Filmed on location in both the United States and Europe, the true Christian history of America is now available at adullamfilms.com. That's adullamfilms.com. Now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Adullam Films presents an exciting new documentary, Bridge to Babylon, part three in an award-winning series on the untold history of the Bible. Dr. Jack Moorman calls it a masterful presentation of what is the single most important issue facing Christians today, the defense of the Bible as the Word of God. Why was the Bible changed in 1881? Why have so many churches abandoned biblical inerrancy? And what direction are scholars taking the scriptures today? Learn the truth in Bridge to Babylon, the sequel to A Lamp in the Dark and Tares Among the Wheat. Bridge to Babylon is now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Noise of Thunder Radio. Okay, we are back. Praise the Lord, you guys, and Merry Christmas. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Yes, we are doing the annual Christmas program. Now, I started to talk about, before we went to the break, we're going to go over the courses of the priests. Just so you know, folks, uh, if you are a Christian, if you're a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, this whole date, December 25th, thinking that our ancestors just said, oh, let's just choose some pagan holiday and use that for the celebration of the birth of Christ. There are many teachers out there who for really hundreds of years have labored in great detail defending December 25th as the true date of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, I think we have to be careful not to insult our ancestors by having really just sort of a, you know, undocumented, just say, oh, yeah, it makes sense that Christians would have been imitating the pagans. Why does that make sense when Christians were being thrown to the lions, when they, when they were being uh, beaten and burned alive and killed and so on because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why would it make sense that they would just go along with paganism when, no, they were not willing to go along with paganism? That's why they were being persecuted and killed. Okay, so to just say, oh, well, they were just imitating the pagans is people who are willing to lay down their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I think that's an oversimplified explanation. And so I started to talk about the the whole Saturnalia, Feast of Saturnalia, Winter Solstice, neither of those work because the dates don't fit. The other argument is Sol Invictus, or the, the birth of the unconquered sun, etc. 
That's the other one, which does fall on December 25th. The problem is, is that the earliest celebration of Christmas is done again about 200 AD. And these first celebrations of Sol Invictus, there is no Sol Invictus celebration until about 75 years later. That's when it begins. And I've talked about this before. I was pleasantly surprised to find that this article from Answers in Genesis agrees with other information that I've gotten from other researchers in the past. Okay? And they talk about this Sol Invictus thing. Sol Invictus means unconquered sun. Sol, S-O-L, means sun. And is where we get the name solar, for instance. Sol Invictus uh, was the celebration of the Roman sun god in the latter stages of the Roman Empire. Okay, it was a form of sun worship. Sol Invictus, however, I'm reading this again from the article, came into existence well after we have recorded history that Christmas was widely celebrated. Sol Invictus was first started by Roman Emperor Lucius Aurelian in A.D. 274. If anything, the pagans took Christmas, which was already a widespread festival for Christians, and wanted a pagan alternative. Kind of like the Christian calendar. What, what year is this? 2023. We're about to go into 2024. 2024 years from what? Well, from the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you have A.D., meaning Anno Domine, and B.C., meaning before Christ. Anno Domine, in the year of our Lord. And B.C., before Christ. That's why the calendar is set up that way. So now the pagans don't like that because they don't believe in Christianity and Jesus and so on. So uh, they come up with their pagan alternative. Now they want A.C.E. after Common Era and B.C.E. before Common Era. You see, the pagans are imitating the Christians. Not the other way around. We could say the same. We could say that about a number of things like, you know, some people think that the American Revolution was fought based on these pagan Enlightenment ideas. No, it was actually fought based on Bible-based Christian ideas. Doesn't mean that everybody who was a revolutionary was a true uh, Bible-based Christian. Doesn't believe it. They professed Christianity. Some were, some were not. That's my take on it. Uh, but the reality is they were imitating the Puritans. They, they were imitating the Puritans. The Puritans were really following the Reformers, the Lutherans. They were following uh, the, the, the early earlier Christians who stood out on the field of Runnymede and, and drafted Magna Carta. And you could trace the principles of Magna Carta from John of Salisbury and his Polycraticus. And ultimately, it all goes back to the Bible and the apostles who said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And, and the many, many examples that we have in the scripture of resisting tyranny, resisting tyrannical 
leaders on behalf of obeying God. So that's one of the things that we try to show in our film, The True Christian History of America, that the idea of resisting tyranny in order to obey God is a very Christian teaching taken from the Bible. So the pagans imitate the Christians. Now, sometimes maybe it happens the other way around, but on the big issues, like celebrating a holiday and, and, and this kind of thing, no, uh, our, our Christian ancestors were not imitating the pagans by celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is simply no proof of that. And saying that they were using things like, well, the fir tree, Christmas trees. Again, Christmas trees show up during the time of Martin Luther. But here you've got a scripture, uh, Isaiah 60 and verse 13. People are going to Jeremiah chapter 10, saying they cut down a tree and deck it with silver and gold. That's very clearly talking about idols. And for people who are still caught up in that, they're, they're, they're simply giving a wrong or a false interpretation to what's being talked about there. Very clearly, that's about making idols, lifting an idol of some pagan god up on a platform and carrying it around. Uh, we still see that kind of thing when you see Catholics in some of these Latin American countries. They carry around statues of the Virgin Mary and that kind of thing. That's an ancient practice of the pagans. You go look at paintings of the golden calf from uh, when Moses came down and, and saw the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. There are some paintings that show the golden calf on a platform, right, being lifted up. That's what's being described in Jeremiah, not a tree that somebody put decorations on. Okay, uh, some people try to argue that it's the Asherah pole. Asherah pole. Go look up Asherah poles. That's where they would carve an image of a goddess or a god into a tree. Then they would bow down and worship the tree. None of that has anything to do with Christmas trees. Okay, uh, here's an article on the first Christmas tree which traces it. Well, here's what the article says. This is from historytoday.com. And uh, this one says, uh, Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's consort, is usually credited with having introduced the Christmas tree into England in 1840. However, the honor of establishing this tradition in the United Kingdom rightfully belongs to good Queen Charlotte, the German wife of George III, who set up the first known English tree at Queen's Lodge, Windsor, in December 1800. Legend has it that Queen Charlotte's compatriot, Martin Luther, the religious reformer, invented the Christmas tree. Okay, now Queen Charlotte was German. So when they say that Luther was her compatriot, meaning her fellow German and that Luther invented the Christmas tree. It goes on to say, quote, One winter's night in 1536, so the story goes, Luther was walking through a pine forest near his home in Wittenberg when he suddenly looked up and saw thousands of stars glinting jewel-like among the branches of the trees. 
This wondrous sight inspired him to set up a candle-lit fir tree in his house that Christmas to remind fir tree in his house that Christmas to remind that Christmas to remind his children of the starry heavens from whence their savior came. Okay? So he set up the fir tree in his house to remind his children of the starry heavens from whence their savior came. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 13, this is where we read, quote, The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box, meaning the box tree, together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Now, where is the place of the Lord's feet? Well, the heavens are his throne, the earth is his footstool. So the place of the Lord's feet would be here upon the earth. And uh, where, where is the Lord's house or his sanctuary? Well, it's under the New Testament, it's the church, the living body of believers. So for believers to have a fir tree to bring glory to God is not necessarily a bad thing and may very well be a fulfillment in some way of Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. This, this, this individual verse of Scripture is the reason why I simply do not have a problem with a church having a Christmas tree, a fir tree, in the sanctuary of the Lord in celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life that we have by faith in him. Now, some people believe that you cannot have a feast day or a holy day or something like that that has not been specifically commanded by God. And I think we have a number of examples in the scripture that are, you know, that, that would say, well, that's not necessarily the case. Remember, the Jewish people to this day have their annual Purim celebration which is the celebration of how God delivered them from the, the potential Holocaust, literally, when Haman wanted to annihilate all of the Jews in the ancient world or in the kingdom at that time, and uh, God used Queen Esther to deliver them. And then Haman was taken. He was hanged on his own gallows. All of his followers were put down. And then as a result, it's Mordecai, who institutes the Purim celebration to remember God's deliverance for their people. Now, the reason I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing to have an annual celebration like that, well, think about what Samuel, the prophet, says to the children of Israel when they had asked Samuel for an earthly king. And Samuel says to them, he, he says, you have this day rejected the Lord your God. For the Lord, he was your king. Now you're saying, make us an earthly king so we can be like the other nations and so on. That's what was going on. And so Samuel says to them, when, once they realize that what they did, that they shouldn't have done it, uh, Samuel says to them, 
consider how great things God has done for you. Consider how great things God has done for you. That's what Samuel says to the children of Israel, and that, I believe, is an admonition that we should all consider. Every Christian should be thinking about that, to consider how God has done great things for us, for his people. And certainly the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest thing, uh, that the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Praise the Lord, the gospel the promise of eternal life that we have by faith in the Lord Jesus, should we not consider how great things God has done for us? So this is why I don't have a problem with a Christian saying, you know what, we're going to remember every year the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to give glory to God. You know, I was listening to Christmas music with my family uh, on Christmas Eve. And I think even the night before Christmas Eve, even. And I was thinking, because there are certain Christmas songs that I think are just really, really beautiful. Those that glorify God and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and so on and the birth of Christ. And I think some of the most beautiful music that's ever been written in the whole history of music was written in celebration of the birth of of Christ into the world. Uh, just some of the most beautiful music. Really, really spectacular music. Um, to give glory to God. And that's not to say that there aren't people who are given to commercialism and people who, you know, are, are doing things that with the Christmas celebration that don't bring glory to God and are, you know, that we would not approve of. But you always have those who abuse, just like we're, we're, we're saved by the grace of God, but there are people who will turn grace into a license. But that doesn't mean we're not saved by the grace of God, just because there are people who are corrupting the grace of God. Um, no, we're still saved by God's grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Praise the Lord. Now, I, want to, I want to point you to a website that I think is a, I've, I've only read part of this site, so I don't know all the information, but it's really very interesting. And this is called December25th.info. December25th.info. And that is the name of the website. And it says, the web's only site devoted to proof of Christ's December 25th birth. So apparently the whole website is dedicated to proving that the Lord Jesus Christ was in fact born on December 25th. But no, this is not just a kind of sort of date. This is the date that the Lord was born. They've even got a document here by John Selden, and it's called, the, it's a tract and this is from A.D. 1661. A.D. 1661. And the tract is called God Made Man, a tract proving the nativity of our Savior to be on the 25th of December by John Selden, one of the most learned men of the 17th century. 
a resolved and serious Christian. That's what it says. But it's it's going back to those the, those scholars from that era, really from the era of the King James, the Reformation, the you know when when they developed the received text, etc. That whole era of scholarship and academia. That's the era in which John Selden lived. Now, if you look him up, Selden was actually a very prominent figure during that time. This is the time, you know, he, he lived until the year 1654. And this work about December 25th being the nativity of our savior uh, was published after his death. So it was a work attributed to him that he had apparently uh, created, but it was published after he passed away. But he was a noted scholar and uh, ultimately, according to the website here, and I've just done a kind of a brief overview of who Selden was, but he was in that whole Cromwellian uh, parliamentarian era, and he, he was interacting with all of those same people like uh, James Usher, Usher, who's one of the great churchmen of the 17th century. Uh, he's typically remembered for having been the person who determined by going through the scripture that the uh, creation of Adam and Eve was approximately 4,000 BC. Okay. And I think, what was it? 4,004. Yeah. 4,004 BC going through the Bible, tracing all of the, the lifespans of the various people in the Bible from Adam and Eve all the way up through the time of Christ. And so that's what Usher is known for. James Usher, one of the most prominent churchmen of his generation. And apparently, uh, he is the guy. And let me read this from the website. It says, Selden was one of the most illustrious individuals of his day. Uh, it testifies to his greatness that no less than Archbishop James Usher performed Selden's funeral service. So, he was obviously held in high esteem by Usher himself uh, in order for him to have done that. So my point to that is just telling you a little bit about the author, but he was convinced for those who want to chase this down and study the date of December 25th in greater depth. He was convinced, Selden was convinced that yes, December 25th is in fact the true date of the nativity, the birth of of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, which I find to be incredible. The reason is because for many years, uh, I've, I've heard nothing in the modern Christian community other than, well, December 25th is probably not when Jesus was really born and on and on and on. That's just taken for granted. That's what you hear most everyone say. They'll say that, uh, that there's supposedly no proof that it was based on some pagan holiday. That's all we hear. What our ancestors believed and the details of why they believed what they believed has been somewhat hidden away. At least that's my impression. And what I'm, I'm very happy to see is that there's more and more believers who are looking more critically at these criticisms of the celebration of Christmas, and they're saying, wait a second, let's look into this more deeply 
And let's not just believe people telling us it's a pagan holiday. And when you go down and you, you, you actually investigate, there's a lot more details into why our ancestors believed what they did. Now, before we went to the break, I did mention the charts of the priestly courses. Okay? Now, this is another angle on this. And I'm going to read you. This is a paragraph from this website, December25th.info. Okay? And here's what it says. Quote, Although Solomon built the Jerusalem temple, its pattern and service were ordained by the hand of the Lord upon King David. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 19. David divided the priests into 24 courses, which served at appointed times in the Jerusalem temple. First Chronicles 24, 7 through 18 and 28, 13. Okay, I'm just reading it. Right, right what they've given us here. The courses were named after the family heads they represented from the sons of Aaron. The two courses that concern us here are Jehoiarib, the first, and Abijah, the eighth. Luke informs us that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was a member of the course of Abijah and was burning incense in execution of his priestly office when Gabriel appeared and announced that his wife would conceive a son. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 24. Based on statements in Luke, John was about six months older than our Lord. Luke one thirty six. And again, verse 56. Therefore, if it can once be determined when Zechariah was serving and when John was conceived, it would be possible to identify the approximate time of Christ's birth, 15 months later. So that's right there. That's just an overview. That's how the priestly courses can possibly provide a timeline to discerning when the Lord Jesus was born into the world. Because you have Zechariah there, then you have the angel telling Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, and then we know that John the Baptist was born about six months before the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so all of these are clues, and they're saying if you follow this trail of evidence, it gives you, you know, the general time frame. Okay, so here's what they say. Quote, to do this, we require a point of reference from which to begin. Happily, history has not left us without a witness. The Jerusalem Talmud records a saying of Rabbi Yose ben Halafta, which dates to about A.D. 150, 80 years of the event, stating that the course of Jehoiarib was serving when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. So the, the course of Jehoiarib, so now that's, a, that's kind of a, 
uh, a beginning point that tells you what was happening in AD 70. And then you can count back from there. And of course, the argument then becomes very, very involved. And we're not going to have time to go over everything that is written on this website, but it becomes very, very, you can see how this gets to be very involved. And there's lots of details that they go over in this article for those who want to chase it down. But I'm just going to read here the kind of the conclusion where that where all of this information that has to do with dates and calendars and all this other kind of stuff, it gets very involved and it's challenging to follow. Uh, but here is here's kind of the summation of it. We read this quote. We do not know how long after Zechariah's ministration, his wife conceived. Human fertility cycles run about 28 days, during which a woman is fertile only about seven. If we allow that Elizabeth conceived the second week after Zechariah returned home, this would place conception in the week of September 22nd through 28th. Normal human gestation is 38 weeks. A 38-week gestation would place John's birth the week of June 20th through 26th. Based on statements in Luke, John was about six months older than our Lord. Six months is 26 weeks. 26 weeks from John's birth brings us to Tibet 25 to Shabbat 2, which answers to the week of December 22nd through 28th. Thus, assuming the model suggested herein is correct, rabbinic tradition regarding the priestly courses and destruction of Jerusalem tends to corroborate the received date of Christ's birth. All right, now I have to admit this is a new trail of evidence that until this year I was not familiar with. I was not familiar with this argument. I was also not familiar with... John Selden and the fact that he had this whole uh, argument about the nativity. And I've not yet had a chance to read it. I'm looking forward to reading it. You see, this program could go on probably for a couple of hours. Maybe I'll do a follow-up. Maybe this will just be part one. And then between now and the new year, I'll do another one. Uh, of course, we've been busy editing and pushing to get to the end of the new documentary, but I did not want to overlook our annual Christmas show. I think it is very, very important. And uh, I know that there's a, a lot of our audience out there that looks forward to the show and is challenged by it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They've also got to highly recommend this uh, website, December25th.info, because they've got a number of different works from from centuries past with historic arguments made by our ancestors who were arguing for this date of December 25th. So you've got this other one from 1652, the Metropolitan Feast or the birthday of our Savior, Jesus Christ annually to be kept holy by them that call upon him in all nations. Proved by scriptures, the practice of the church, primitive and reformed, the testimonies of the fathers and modern divines, strong reasons grounded on the word of God. 
And then it gives the scripture, John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Written by Pastor Fido, F-I-D-O, August 16th, 1652. Wow. I mean, this is, these are works I'm not familiar with, but they, they are works that were written back during this golden age of English literature and academia, and when I personally believe scholarship in the Western world was at a climactic point, the academics in the colleges and the universities in England and throughout Western Europe were much more familiar with early church father writings. They also were not wrestling with issues like evolution. They weren't dealing with rationalism. You didn't have biblical skepticism governing most of the education system of that time. Uh, so you had people who were very, very convicted believers in Jesus Christ who took seriously an investigation into the history of things like the, the nativity. Uh, but of course, uh, what throws a wrench into this is the objections that were raised during the Puritan era and by some of the reformers. Very important to remember, not all of the reformers. In fact, uh, two of the leading reformers, Luther, as we talked about earlier, was a big supporter of the Christmas celebration. Calvin believed that it was a matter of individual conscience. He, he was in the category of what the Apostle Paul says, you know, he that regardeth the day unto the Lord, he doth regard it. He that does not regard the day unto the Lord, he does not regard it. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind that it was simply a matter of personal opinion and personal conviction, really, your own conscience before God as to whether or not you wanted to celebrate the Christmas holiday. There's no command necessarily uh, to do so in the New Testament. However, it's also not necessarily forbidden to remember uh, the great things that God has done. I know we talked about last year, Oliver Cromwell. Some people think that Cromwell outlawed or banned Christmas. Actually, it was not Cromwell. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were certain Puritan factions. The Puritans were not simply one group. They were kind of like other denominations where they're divided up and, you know, you have your independents, you have those who have more extreme views over here and, and, and those who are a little bit more liberally minded, etc. like any other group of people. Cromwell was known as an independent. Uh, when I interviewed the curator at the Cromwell Museum in Huntington, England, uh, years ago, uh, he said very clearly that Cromwell's particular opinions on Christmas and the celebration of it were not really known, but he did not oppose it. There's no evidence that he necessarily opposed it. He really just left it up to Parliament to make those decisions. And so you have an inconsistency. Uh, typically, when you have the Puritans condemning the celebration, what they're condemning is debauchery, drunkenness, this kind of thing. They're not necessarily condemning the acknowledgement of the birth of Christ. It's using that as an occasion, as a license for immoral behavior. 
That seems to be what the Puritans condemned. And of course, on that note, we would agree. We would agree. But we certainly do not see why it would be objectionable to use the Christmas holiday to remember the birth of our Lord into the world. Praise God. All right, you guys, we are about out of time. We are going to wrap it up there. Uh, We are coming to the end of the year 2023. We are looking forward to the new year, 2024, which is not too far off. And it should be very interesting to see what happens in this coming year. We need to lift our eyes to heaven, uh, keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the things of God, especially as this world is thrown into more and more turmoil and confusion. And we're seeing plenty of that right here in the United States of America. But we trust God to guide us every step of the way. And we remember what the Lord says to us in the Scripture, that we should not fear other gods, but only fear the Lord, and He will deliver you from the hands of all your enemies. Praise the Lord. All right, brethren, that is it for us today. That is our show. Uh, We'll stop it there, but we will be back next time as the Lord leads us. Until then, God bless you guys. I'm Chris Pinto, and you've been listening to Noise of Thunder Radio. 